the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Yep, and I'm so glad to be in the house with you one more time. Another Monday. They go by so quickly. But, you know, that's good. We got two hours. Um, and we've got two hours to uh, cultivate our brain, to cultivate cultivate our spirit, to, to nurture our thoughts around the things of God and really try to get a handle on where you and I are in this world in which we live. Let me see if I can hear myself just a tad. Not that I... I'm enamored by hearing myself, but I do have to be able to. I, now I get it with musicians who have to be able to have monitors to hear themselves. Welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan, on this gorgeous, fabulous Monday. The weather is impeccable, uh, wouldn't you say? And uh, we have been uh, blessed once again with the inheritance of uh, massive doses of vitamin C. On uh, this growing uh, September uh, conclusion uh, for 2019, I think it's the 23rd. Yeah, 23rd of September moving uh, toward the end of the year. We're, we're about to move into our fall season. Yes, we are. And um, that's going to clip right on into its very obvious uh uh, manifestation of uh, cool air in the morning, uh, maybe up till about nine or 10 o'clock and then uh, a decent weather during the day. And then in the evening, the weather will drop once again. You'll see this happen almost uh, precipitously in the month of uh, October, if you will, in November, and then we'll know we're there. So get prepared for that. Get, um, get your mind ready for, um, for the changing of the season. Um, I, I know folks in other states laugh at us when we talk about seasons, but we do. Ours are mild and they are rather gentle. There's no doubt about that. We don't have radical weather changes as a norm, except for, you know, some years when it's extremely hot and uh, it may be a little more um, uh, seasonal rain than normal. But we do have almost a faithful transition from summer weather into the cooler weather come October, November. And, and granted, even during that time, we will have some some just magnificent sunny weather that will almost be like an Indian summer. We look forward to that every year, and yet the morning will still be cool. Uh, you just can't change uh, the way the uh, our solar system works, the way the equator uh, works in terms of the distance from the sun to the earth. You're going to just get that transition. However, the point that I'm making around it is because I recognize every year and have been ever since I've been in ministry that you and I, um, more or less, some more and others less, are indeed impacted by the weather. 
uh, psychologically and emotionally. And therefore, if we're not perceiving of those subtle changes in the weather and how they can impact us uh, emotionally and therefore physiologically or physiologically and therefore emotionally, if I might say so, um, you want to get prepared for that. Uh, This time of the year, we begin to slow down in terms of our metabolism. This time of the year, we begin to become a little bit more myopic in our our, 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 our thinking, our meditations often also are a lot more earthy and uh, helter skelter. And we won't even recognize that sometimes that we are not necessarily operating out of a clear objective view in terms of, uh, you know, our, our main and important goals. All that being said, what will occur a lot of times is that you and I will slowly and gradually alter in our attitude and our attitude will be impacted by our physiological changes, no matter how small they are. When our metabolism begins to slow down and we begin to become much more tired than normal. And I have just noticed for years. And one of the things we do in prayer on Tuesday nights is I just try to tell the saints, particularly when they're dragging in, you know, five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, but they're coming because they understand the blessing of practice. They understand the benefit and discipline of pressing through patterns that are good in order to sow good seed, even in the winter. Uh, but we we try to sow the seed of prayer and, and communion and worship and fellowship in the summertime and in the springtime while our energy levels are up so that during this this kind of waning period that we're about to enter into. Even though we will slow down or again in terms of uh, levels of optimism that might diminish a little bit. And, and for people that really struggle with depression and I have some of that. Uh, you can you can you can fall prey to negativity. You can fall prey to pessimism. You can fall prey to subtle attitude diminishings in terms of what really should be a normative uh, fruit of the spirit expression in the life of the believer. Because you and I are blessed. We are significantly blessed when we think about the world. I mean, I could just talk for the next two hours about why we here in the Bay Area. As believers across the norm, I'm not I'm not discounting all of the struggles and challenges we have. There are myriads of them. But what I am saying is that we have such a ground for being optimistic, enthusiastic, overtly expressive, happy men and women in Jesus Christ, that God merits that kind of uh, testimony and witness in our life towards him uh, in the sight of others, and, and we should do that. But as you enter into the next coming months, and uh, you will look back and realize that you are becoming slow, you are becoming lethargic, you're not as um, as quick to respond to, to uh, emergencies or important things or crises, and uh, you might very well find yourself spiritually stuck. Remember, to be aware of all of the outward circumstances that are impacting that component and find the need to do what the Puritan said, input, output principle, input. First thing you want to be able to do uh, at a greater level, if you're not doing it now is rest. Point number one, there are some of you out there who are listening to my voice right now that 
really do need to prioritize as a bold main point, enter into a rest mode by which I take advantage of either small uh, uh, sparse periods of resting, napping during the day, which I may not be doing right now, but I should take advantage of it. Still a half an hour here. Uh, 30 minutes or 45 minutes here or 15 minutes here if you can. If you can get an hour, do that. That will help enormously as well. Make sure that you go to bed well uh, at night. Uh, Divest yourself before you go to bed. Deconstruct. um, Download. Uh, empty your mind of, uh, of of matters that really don't have any kind of eternal value, or uh, they may not really take on material existence uh, beyond the fact that you are worrying about this, that, or the other. Lay them down at night. Uh, enter into your quiver, into your pillow, into your place of uh, of, of of resting. With a mind that clearly has downloaded everything to God and enter into your pillow, thanking him for the expiration of this day and him having watched over you, cared for you, provided for you, and is now going to allow you to do something that many people in different countries around the world have no guarantee of. Will you hear me? They have no guarantee that they can go to bed and go to sleep. And not have to worry about some kind of molestation or interruption or some type of attack or some type of uh, uh, abrupt entrance for whatever the case may be. Vast majorities of the people around the world do not have the guarantee of a good night's sleep. And yet you and I, most people hearing my voice know that for all intents and purposes tonight, when you crawl in your bed and get under your cover uh, and cut off your lights and your doors are locked and everything is secure, you're going to have the freedom of uninterrupted rest. For some five, six, seven, eight hours, if not more. Thank God for that. That is not a given. It is not, if you will, something that is uh, automatic with people around the world. Give him thanks for that. But utilize that rest to strengthen your body because your body is all that you have to honor God and to actually enjoy the things that God is giving your body. So rest is at the top of the list with the objective of refreshing restoring, rebuilding uh, energy, positive energy within your physiology and within your your mind, your brain, so that now you can apply that energy that's stored up to very important things during the day. Make sure you get up thanking God. You make make sure you get up praising him for uh, another day. Make sure that as you begin to set your agenda, that that agenda is set in communion and coupling with God. God, go before me. Go with me, Lord. Bless my day. Grant me the ability to maintain a high priority of spiritual comprehension in the midst of what I'm doing. Do not let me do the whole day without you. Help me with that, Lord. Uh, grant me the ability to see your glory, your providence, your power, your, 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 um, your, your movement in my life. And then grant me, if you will, Lord, an opportunity to talk to somebody by way of edification, building up, encouraging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how you and I walk in the spirit every day. That's how we do it. Of course, you want to take moments here and there to read your Bible uh, remembering what John sixteen thirty three says in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Uh, my peace I give unto you. 
not as the world give, give I unto you. The peace I give you, Jesus says, is his own very peace, which is the consequence of him being the one that puts everything back together. When you and I have the peace of God, which which passes all uh, knowledge and understanding, which surpasses any human uh, necessity for comprehending why a thing is occurring. When we have that peace, you and I are well. We are in that place of provision by God by which we can handle the day's tasks. A great benefit, a great blessing, and you want to thank God for that. You also want to continue to cultivate your mind around the high and lofty doctrines of the glory of God, the persons of God in terms of their 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 benevolence as the sovereign triune God in your life. The Father, who is the source, the Son, who is the mediator, the Spirit, who is the e-mediator and grounds of all reality and truth in your life. He's the means by which you are sealed unto the day of redemption. He's the cause of you being able to comprehend the gospel in a saving way. He is the source of you even knowing what eternal life is. Holler at him all day long and let him holler at you as well. And let that be done through the book, the Bible. Just take your phone out and go Bible and and, and read a couple Bible verses and say, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. And then engage people on that horizontal level because the purpose for which Christ died is, is in order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And what that is, is love for God and love for neighbor. So why Christ freed us. It's what we're learning about the work of the spirit in Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus because they walk in the spirit and no longer walk after the flesh. I'm unpacking that in a series right now on Sunday. And for the believer who understands that there is a pedagogue, that there is a paracletos, a paraclete who has been assigned to them from eternity to make sure that they make it into the presence of the father and to behold face to face their great bridegroom and husband, the Lord Jesus. The Holy Ghost is there with you to help you wage war against the carnal principles that would have you denying the truth, which is in Jesus, which is in you. So you and I want to take serious what it means to walk in the spirit. You and I want to understand the beauty and splendor of walking after the spirit, minding the spirit, and therefore enjoying life and peace by walking after him and minding him. It's the grand motif we'll unpack week after next of what it means to be a slave of God and and then and then therefore a follower of our master. Grand motif there. It doesn't work on the natural because we have such a negative connotation about slavery. But I am so glad that God has called me his doulos, his slave, his servant, if you will, his malak. Uh, if you will, I don't mind. I hope you don't mind as well. He purchased you with his blood, lock, stock and barrel. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which are his. All right. I got to take a break. Phone lines wide open. one 367 one Let's begin to have a conversation. Um, a topic that might be important to you or a question. You got your local pastor here, counselor, brother, friend, uncle, whoever you want me to be. one 367 Let's kind of dialogue, unpack it, see what it will do to cultivate uh, an event for us uh, today on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Once again, all the lines are open. one 
367-5329. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline and your host is Jesse Giston. Pleased to be with you. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. The time 525 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open. one 367 If you want to join the discussion on this Monday edition of Lifeline with your host, Jesse Gistan. Um, just setting the context for whatever um, may come up out of our conversation. Do want to invite you to come out uh, to Grace Bible Church on Friday. If you aren't doing anything Friday evening, 7 p.m. exactly. We will be having a guest speaker, Lance Heller. He's a missionary. Him and his dad have uh, been a missionary for many, many years in Papua New Guinea. Great work going on there. Lance is a phenomenal communicator and speaker, and we are looking forward to having a wonderful time of of worship. And um, I, I sh- I'm sure that if you were free to avail yourself of it, it would be a grand blessing. So think about it. If you aren't doing anything, and let's say you are listening to my voice for the first time and you have to ask yourself in all of your Christian experience, I'm sure there are some of you out there who live reasonably close, but you have never, ever heard a missionary before. I mean, a real missionary. I'm talking about someone who has been in the field in that native uh, foreign territory where from scratch you have to build a relationship with people, learn their language translate the scriptures into their language and then be used by God to bring them from pagan darkness into a rich, real reality of knowing the true and the living God in Jesus Christ. Um, That kind of privilege you don't always get, particularly in the kind of Christianity that we are operating out of today. Uh, Many of our churches don't have that kind of radical uh, missionary agenda. So, I mean, just ask yourself, would this be a good time to begin to cultivate in my spirit uh, an acquaintance with missionary work around the world? I think about it as a pastor, to be honest with you, that when I look at American Christians and I see them and I see the downline, to be honest with you, all the way from my kids on to other people's kids. And I, I think about the absence of any notion of wanting to give your life for the gospel. I I don't see it. And that may be my fault. It may be the fault of my peer pastors. It may be the fault of our upline pastors. But you're not hearing in this generation a passionate appeal to become a missionary, to go somewhere around the world um, to reach lost men and women. And there still are many lost nations that need to hear the gospel. Uh, It is a fundamental uh, call on the part of the local church to nurture and cultivate such a vision in the heart of its members that it would be inclined to do missionary work. And and so for us to be involved in uh, supporting missionaries as we do at Grace uh, is a great privilege. And I'm trusting that this will also stimulate some of our uh, millennials and Gen X's to think about something more than Jesus just blessing you with a good job, because that really is not the mission. The mission is not to live in this world at the highest level of material blessings and think that that is the end of the gospel. It's far from it. But the dirty little secret is that we don't have many Christians who are willing to completely expend the totality of their life for the one they say that they love. 
and adore. Well, sometimes that requires being in the midst of and exposed to missionaries who can tell you what that is like and how God called them from an early age. I'm sure Lance is going to revisit that kind of wonderful testimony that we've heard before as well as from other missionaries. And so if you're not doing anything, come on out this Friday night and listen to a missionary who understands the gospel fully, who handles the word of God very well, exegetically and expositorily, and who preaches exceptionally. He'll be compelling, believe you me. Not one of those loud guys like I am and others. He's a quiet, very deeply uh, reflective communicator of, of biblical truth. But when you hear it and it begins to resonate with you, you come to understand the impact of his very toilsome uh, task as a, a missionary, dealing with people, having to be sensitive to cultures that are unlike ours, that don't have the same kind of uh, toleration parameters, although ours is narrowing down. I must admit, we are becoming much more pagan in our emotionalism than we have in the past. Civility is almost out the door, but in, in, in regions of uh, certain countries like Papua New Guinea, the, you know, the reputation is as soon as you get a brother upset, he's looking for a hatchet because that's kind of just the way traditionally and historically it has has been done. If there isn't an immediate, uh, uh, if you will, uh, uh, intercession, an immediate stepping in the gap to rescue you, uh, a process of events ultimately results up results in hazardous outcomes when uh, when offenses occur. Uh, for a man to live among that kind of liability, he has to be prudent. He has to be wise. She has to be prudent. His wife, uh, Helen, will be uh, with him as well. Uh, Robin, I'm sorry. Robin will be with, with Lance as well. And she knows a lot about it from her youth as well because they've been on the field since teenagers just about. And so it's going to be fascinating. So I would encourage you to come on out. All right. I got to take another break. I got three lines open. I mean, three lines. You can jump on the line with a question, with a comment, with a topic. Be glad to throw it with you, kind of toss it back and forth, play some tennis uh, rhetorically, hopefully with good thoughts on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm getting ready to do it, getting ready to do it. We will be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back the time, 537 on the Monday edition. Two, li- two lines open if you want to call, one 367 Two lines open if you want to call and join our conversation. Let me raise a question and then I'll go to line number one. Uh, there's a lot of momentum developing around the assumption of and the arguments about global warming. And so the question I'm going to raise to you, you don't have to answer that when you call. You don't have to answer. But the question I want to raise to you, child of God, is what God will do in this world in which we are double aliens. We are foreigners and we are pilgrims. Um, We often are not living in the land of our nativity. And we certainly are not citizens of this world in the deeper spiritual sense. And so, you know, we, we are confronted with and exposed to all kinds of changes that have ultimately nothing to do with our eternal existence. But in that, God has called you and I to be stewards of this world in some fashion or another, if we have a healthy biblical worldview. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. What say ye about global warming? Is it true 
to you? That's one question. Is it the total product of uh, man-made abuse, man-made neglect, uh, man-made, you know, hazardous, careless, um, bad stewardship, fossil fuels, carbon emissions, et cetera, plastic toxification of our oceans? You know, the list goes on in terms of uh, causes of uh, global warming. The arguments are we have a rise in sea level. We have a rise in earth average temperatures, rise in, uh, in ocean temperatures, shrinking glaciers, et cetera. Ocean acidification is, uh, is some of the larger evidences that they're proving. And we can see them empirically. Some of the serious consequences, I think it was, um, I don't know who it was, made mention of something like um, three million bird species uh, have been lost in California over the last 50 years. That's horrific. If that's the case, that's horrific. We're seeing a clear diminishing of bees that are such a major uh, part of a ecosystem in, in our plant life and uh, pollination transfer from different plants to other plants by those uh, worker bees <clears throat> and, and the implications thereof. I guess it could fall out in a, mil- a million ways. And with regards to those who are global warmer mongers, they are definitely talking about catastrophic consequences, you know, are not too distant of the future. And by the way, you just heard uh, recently uh, sort of an abandonment of school on the part of a, tons of uh, young people, thousands of young people. In fact, it said millions of young people, the article says, from Sydney to Warsaw to London and beyond carried the streets on Friday as they skipped school to stay stri- strikes demanding urgent action on climate change. And all I'm asking you as we get ready to talk is that you can't help but hear it because it becomes like one of the brand new uh, talking points in the world of uh, of media in order to begin to shape your thinking in a particular way and to define what should be a priority for us. Is it true to you? And if it is, what is the biblical worldview around Uh, stewardship of the earth relative to things like this. Uh, Are we in need as Christians to give a biblical worldview and an answer to, should we be contributing to uh, pursuing a solid and valid assessment of uh, this claim for global warming and then getting engaged at some level as a witness for the true and the living God that God indeed ordained that mankind would be the steward of the earth. I'm kind of giving you some biblical concepts. I could go deeper I really do believe that we are totally culpable and liable for the condition of the earth uh, as Christians and as as human beings. But I, I, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Got one line open: one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me go to line number one and talk with Ellen in San Mateo. Ellen, hello. How are you? Very well, thank you, Pastor Jesse. Um, boy, I, I'd sure like to answer that question. But I have something pressing on my mind, so I'm going to maybe hopefully leave it to other callers. Sure. That's a a really, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Sure. Um, And it's very important. Uh, And, and, well, anyway, I don't want to get caught up. This this is really, maybe you don't even want to get into this, in which case you can just ignore my call and move on. I wouldn't do that. What would would be on your mind? Okay. Um, This weekend, I I had dinner with some friends at their home. Now, they're a Jewish couple. um, Oh, beautiful. And they're uh, Christians. 
Okay. okay, so we're out in the patio. It was, as you said, a gorgeous evening. We're blessed. I think that's the problem with the youth. They have too many distractions. They're looking at the screen. So they're not going to be go up to the mission because they can't even tear away the, their face from the screen for their little devices for two seconds. But anyway, that's not what I want to talk about. So the, um, they put on a, a, a CD or whatever. I'm not very technologically advanced. Whatever it was, I guess it was a CD. And it was of when Jerusalem became... The capital. Sure, 1948. Um, no, recently when when oh 67. Oh no, Jerusalem. Yeah, a couple years ago, yeah. Trump declared and, it to, for America. Yeah. And and it was a it was the blessing and a sermon by John Hagee. Now I'm not familiar with him. I, mean, I, I am. am. Okay. I am. So let me just uh, follow through. I, I know. I hope you can answer because this is driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was talking, and he, he and, and let me go through my question so you can get to it. And mm-hmm. a lot of other calls coming in. Okay, so he was saying it's not just a suggestion, it is a commandment um, by God that we uh, pray daily for Israel. Okay, mm-hmm. then I heard another pastor say, well, no, that's the old covenant under Abraham, uh, now we're under the new covenant with Gentiles, and, and, and if, they don't, if Jews don't believe in, in Christ, they will not be saved. But then I was scouring the Bible in preparation for this question, and Paul says, you know, something about 70,000 and and yes, they will be. Uh, the, God doesn't break His covenant. So I'm biblically so confused. As Christians, are we supposed to pray? What? And then there's so much anti-Semitism, and 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 how are we supposed to view Israel, Jerusalem, etc., from a biblical standpoint? What is our responsibility? And all these different things. And I and and I'm, I, I tried to find different things in the Bible. So I'm going to leave that to you. Well, it's actually one of the uh, germane questions that's. Uh, penultimately making its way to the center of our politics um, and um, our theological discussion as a body of believers eclectically, meaning at some point eschatology, which has taken on a fourfold form and shape over the last couple, two or three hundred years, uh, the premillennial view, postmillennial view, amillennial view, and then what is called a preterite view, um, uh, post-millennial view as well as a, a preterite view, um, uh, four to five categories of thoughts on the part of Christians and historically all the way from the days of the apostles up to now, there have been kind of biblical uh, expectations of God doing something prior to coming and then upon Christ's return, assumptions are made about kind of a millennial age and and a, 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 a kind of present kingdom dynamic that has never, ever been experienced on this earth in terms of uh, uh, Jesus ruling from Jerusalem and uh, uh, and some people's uh, worldview, 144,000 uh, special Jews will be part of that dispensational work. And then, you know, many Gentiles will also be involved in it. That that assumption has been held uh, very highly, of which John Hagee is your typical premillennial dispensational uh, uh, preacher and pastor with a strong uh, pro-Jewish uh, uh, theological slant that many of us have clearly understood as being uh, super problematic, particularly within the context of a, a, a one gospel concept, a one gospel message. He uh, unashamedly calls them the people of God uh, in spite of the Bible making explicitly clear what a true Jew is and what a true Israelite is in Romans 2 and in Romans 9, uh, as well as in Galatians 3, and I can name tons of other passages 
He will fundamentally say that there is a covenant uh, mandate uh, on the part of God to bless Israel materially and uh, support them uh, unequivocally on the part of Americans, everybody in the world. Um, um, notwithstanding an overt rejection of and open hostility towards everything New Testament. Uh, and most scholars who have a sound working knowledge of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant will recognize intrinsic major problems with Hagee's theology. And I have been opposing it ever since I've been a Christian. I had a small stint when I began to entertain premillennial dispensational theology under uh, Dr. Wolvert in Dallas Seminary many, many years ago, as well as uh, Dr. Vernon McGee. But that, I cut my teeth on it early on when I uh, inadvertently bought a, a, a Schofield Bible that had everything set up to buy into a two-party system like the politics we operate out of today, where God has a plan for the church and the Gentiles, and then he has a plan for the Jews, which appears to be that way when you read your Bible um, with a preconceived notion, particularly as you stated, if you read Romans 11, uh, Romans 11, it appears that what Paul is speaking to is a remnant according to God's election. Uh, and he didn't say they were literally 7,000. He said that as there were 7,000 that did not bow the knee to Baal in the days of Elijah the prophet, so God has reserved to himself a remnant out of Zion that will ultimately come to salvation in Jesus Christ. But if you were to have a healthy Debate, And that's what I'm looking forward to seeing take place at some point with some of our major and uh, and, and very sage theologians, because on the ground level, very few men and women in our in the Christian culture have a real good handle on eschatology and collapse on one side or the other without really understanding the implications of it. I don't buy into a premillennial dispensational theology because it completely cuts out virtually everything that New Testament theology speaks of concerning what Christ accomplished on the cross in terms of breaking down of the middle wall of partition and the bringing in of both Jews and Gentiles into one body, uh, so making peace. Paul laid this out very clearly in Ephesians 2. And so when we think about two covenants, what I always say is what covenant What covenant is God still obligated to bring Israel into now that Christ has died and risen and and has ascended on high to affect the new covenant after having fulfilled the old covenant? What covenant paradigm still exists that won't mitigate everything that the new covenant has instituted? And my argument with the premillennial dispensationalists is that they are fundamentally rebuilding what Christ tore down again when they uh, assert Israel being restored to the land, Israel becoming once again a theocracy, the nations being subordinated to Israel, Israel reestablishing a temple, reestablishing the Aaronic priesthood, reestablishing sacrifice and offerings, all of that for me, biblically, is horrifically uh, modeling the Antichrist system that will occur in the last time relative to opposing the person and work of Jesus Christ, the finished work that Christ accomplished on the cross, and the new covenant that goes on into perpetuity, of which in the new covenant, Christ doesn't have two brides. He doesn't have two churches. He doesn't have two people. He only has one people. They are made up of Jew and Gentile. They are called the church of God. 
He doesn't operate out of an apartheid type of system, which is what you got going on over in Israel now. That is very problematic for me. And many, many what we would either call our amillennialist, uh, uh, post-millennialists are preterite uh, holders. And so premillennial dispensational theology is a threat, in my opinion, inherently to the gospel and the notion of a kind of parentheses period in which the church now is operating as some kind of mystery that once its work is done, it'll be taken out of the world. And then we will go back to a Jewish paradigm. Um, it's actually kind of frightening, but we can make that happen as a people. And that's what we're doing by virtue of the powers of the nation and getting involved on the political level and on the kind of level that our country, Europe and America is engaging in. And Hagee's logic is consistent, but the the unfortunate thing about his logic is that it actually undoes every aspect of the redemptive work of Christ. It makes uh, a salvation plan for the Jews different than the salvation plan for the Gentiles, which, by the way, the unbelieving Jews believe and they love. And it makes all the sense for the unbelieving Jew to embrace a Christian who is willing to undo the gospel that the Jewish person needs in order to tell them that they'll be saved because they're chosen and we're saved because we have been redeemed. That kind of two-party system is a problem. Now, i got to take a break, um, and, and your intuitive concerns about it are very good, and a lot of people who read their Bibles carefully know that that's a problem. And what you have to do is buy into a parentheses period, according to Daniel 9, faulty numbers that are assumed in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, about one week left, a covenant week that in the middle of the week, that covenant will be broken and then all hell will break out. It's called a, uh, you know, kind of pre-tribulation model theory of which good exegetes say there's a real problem with that interpretation too, but it's prominent in our major uh, Southern Baptist seminaries, prominent with people who have bought into, again, the um, the mainline premillennial dispensational theology. But when you go back to the roots of premillennial dispensational theology and where it was born out of a Schofield-Darby uh, uh, system, there there are a lot of fundamental problems that go on with it. Having said all that, young lady, it's still going to be very difficult to unravel the the knots that people have in their concerns about it without serious scholarship at the level of apologetics sitting at the table and point by point addressing every fundamental presupposition that's held by uh, men of that eschatological rank over against other very good men historically uh, and contemporarily to be able to challenge the assumptions that are just being uh, freely embraced today. Thank you for the call. I'm way overdue. I got to take a break. Um, Very good question. I don't know if I even began to answer it, but I will say that if you read the New Testament carefully, you got to bump into contradictions. You got to bump into contrasts. You've got to understand the implications of some of the assumptions being held by uh, John Hagee and many others who are promoting a kind of premillennial dispensationalism that basically undoes the gospel. Uh, this is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one 367 I'll be right back. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.